0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you for the opportunity we have just to bask in your presence this morning. We just pray that, uh, that you would undergird, uh, as we were walking through this first week, not only with the Daily Thunders, but with the work week, Lord, I just pray that you would supply abundantly, that you would give focus and clarity. I pray that you would refresh and rejuvenate, and I pray that you would be the focus and the center of our, of our minds. Lord, I pray that our, we would set not only our hearts, but our minds upon you, that, and that we would love you with all, all of our hearts and minds and souls and strengths. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather and fellowship and have some fun and look at your word uh, we just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, on Tuesday mornings, moving forward, um, we are going to be uh, doing an exposition through the book of Ephesians, which I personally am very excited about. Uh, and uh, recently I've been walking through Ephesians, and it's been so complicated with the filming that we're just going to use this and start over. So I've, I really like chapter 1, apparently, because this is like my fourth or fifth time going through chapter 1. Uh, so looking forward to that, <clears throat> but even before we get into the uh, exposition of Ephesians, I just wanted to kind of lay a groundwork uh, of a thought, and uh, this is probably going to be a reminder for a lot of you, but uh, just pondering this idea of the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God and the idea of the saturation in the Word of God, I uh, just wanted to give a few nuggets this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, which a couple of you do, that'd be great, uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, is just a phenomenal passage. love Luke 24. Uh, Jesus just rose from the dead, and here are these two gentlemen. They're walking on this road. It's a five to seven mile journey uh, down from Jerusalem over to this place called Emmaus. And as they're walking, Jesus shows up, and they don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, what's, you know, what's, uh, what's going on? Why you guys look so sad? And of course, they look at Jesus, not realizing it's Jesus, saying, what are you talking about? Uh, Weren't you, weren't you? Weren't you in Jerusalem? Don't you know what's going on? I mean, we just—the one we thought was the Messiah—was just crucified. And it—I love this idea. It literally says in verse twenty-seven, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explainedeth them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And I've thought so many times, wouldn't that have been an amazing five to seven-mile journey, of just walking down this road? you're with Jesus, and he's literally opening up the entirety of the Old Testament, saying, see that? That's about me. See that? That's about me. See that? That's about me. And he's literally pointing to the Messiah all throughout the Old Testament, uh, which, of course, the whole entirety of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And as they get to the village <clears throat> where they were traveling, uh, of course, you know, Jesus kind of indicated that he was going to keep on going. They said, no, 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 stop, stay with us, and, and had some dinner, which is probably great. And uh, after the hot dogs, they uh, looked up, and Jesus kind of disappeared, and it says in verse 32, which is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, it says that they looked at each other and they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the way and while he opened the Scriptures to us? Isn't that a marvelous statement? I love this idea that here is Jesus. He's communicating. And the whole time Jesus is talking about himself from the, from the word, it says that their hearts were just burning on the inside. And my prayer for, for years has been, Jesus, as I come to this word, as I come to study your book, may it not just be academic, though there's academics. Let this not just be out of duty, even though I want to have discipline in it. Lord, let this be where I just, I crave it. I long for it. I just desire you in the word. And my desire is that when I come to the word, that there's just something that bubbles up within me and that there's a burn within my, in my chest that just, I just long to know Jesus through the word. So the question then is, oh, do you have that? Uh, last night, I was doing a webinar thing, and it was just, I don't know, its so interesting to me. Every time I talk about the Bible, I don't ever intend to, but I get excited. In fact, most of the time, I'm just like, Nathan, just be calm, settle down, just be chill. And it lasts for a couple of minutes, maybe, <clears throat> and then I just like, I, I do this bouncy thing on my toes, usually, and I just I just start getting excited, and then I'm just... Why? Because this, this thing is alive. And isn't it an amazing thought that as we come to study Scripture, this is not a dead, old, dusty book. Uh, this is not some uh, science book that we are to analyze, though, hey, you should analyze it. Hey, this is not some literature book that you're just supposed to read, though, hey, you are to read it. Uh, this isn't just some moral book, even though it has morals in it. This, this book is not, this book is alive. Which means that when you get into the book, it should be doing something in you. Uh, which is why the, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, this is, hey, this is, uh, this is like a sword. It's going to pierce you. It's going to cut you. It's going to change you. That you can't remain the same when you come open and bear yourself to this book. That, as Paul said to Timmy, this thing is living and active. Hey, hey, this thing, there's, this thing is breathing. It's like God just spoke this thing into existence. And, and, and it's this, this is not just text or this is not just ink on paper. This is not just text. That this thing has life to it. And yes, you can study it, and it can just be ink on paper. And there's a lot of academic schools, uh, secular schools, that study Scripture. But, but it's dead to them. That you need, you need Jesus on the inside. And when you have Jesus on the inside, he gives you an illumination. He gives you insight into his word. And this thing becomes alive. Isn't that a neat thought? Uh, recently, <clears throat> if you turn back a few pages to uh, Mark chapter 8, I was preparing for the webinar last night and was looking at this story, and it just made more sense to me uh, in light of the context. But in Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 22, it says that Jesus came to Bethsaida, which by the way is on the north, uh, tippy top of the Sea of Galilee, and they brought a blind man to him, and he entreated him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he spat on his eyes, which is just nasty. When he spat on his eyes, he put his hands on him. And he said, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men. as tree's walking. Then again, he put his hands on his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And Jesus said to him, go away to your house. Isn't, it a, isn't that the most bizarre passage I mean, it really is crazy to me. One, Jesus is spitting, which I just think is gross. But not only that, <clears throat> here's this man who is healed, but he's not healed. It takes a double healing. And you're like, well, Jesus, what'd you do? How'd you mess that up? Because obviously Jesus is healed many times. People touch them of his garment, and they're healed. You know, he speaks, and they are healed. Why is it that he spits on somebody, and they're only half healed? Isn't that a funny thought? And it seems like you can only make sense of this if you look at the full flow of the context. And so if you want to look at the flow of the context, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, Jesus feeds the 4,000. And again, these are not uh, Jews. It's, it's actually Romans. It says in the Decapolis area on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He feeds the 4,000. And as soon as he feeds the 4,000, he gets in a boat and he goes to the other side of the lake where the Jews are at. And here are these Pharisees in verse 11 through 13. And the Pharisees are trying to test him and and trap him. And, of course, there's this kind of confrontation kind of thing. In verse 13, he leaves all that. He gets on the boat and he departs to the other side. And in the middle of the lake, Jesus makes this statement to the disciples. And he says, hey, uh, verse 15, take heed, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And, of course, the disciples look at each other, and they say, oh, no, we forgot bread, which is the dumbest thing in the world. And, of course, that's even what Jesus says, hello, because, hey, don't you remember me feeding the 5,000? Don't you remember me feeding the 4,000? We just left the (laughs) 4,000, and you're worried about bread. I can make bread. That's not the problem. And of course, and of course, he asked the question, hey, didn't we just feed the 4,000? They said yes. How many baskets did we pick up? And they say, seven. And you realize baskets weren't like, you know, the Ellerslie little baskets that we have. We're talking baskets, right? And they're full of, they're full of. In fact, the emphasis is what you had left over was more than what you started with. And I've always wondered what, what happened to the bread, because they didn't have it. So what happened to those leftovers? Right? They probably gave it away to somebody. And he says, hey, we, we don't have this bread. And in verse 21, Jesus says, do you still not understand? I'm not talking about bread. That was my addition. But hey, don't you understand? In other words, what was their problem? They were seen, but they weren't seen clearly. That They had a perspective, that they had insight, but it was fuzzy. And so you move directly into this idea that they come to Bethsaida, and Jesus takes this man who is blind. And it's almost like this dual parallel thing happening. It's beautiful that, yes, a man is being healed. But while a man is being healed, it is an illustration of what the disciples are going through. And so as this man is being healed, Jesus says, hey, can you see? And then he goes, well, kind of, but it's all blurry. And Now, it doesn't say this, but it's like, in my mind, Jesus must have looked at the disciples and went, mm-hmm. It's like, come on, don't you understand this? That you are this man. That hey, you were blind, and I've given you sight, but it's like things are fuzzy, and you haven't fully seen yet. And what does Jesus do? He puts his hand on him, and he's fully healed. Do you recognize we need that when it comes to understanding the word? That we we can see, but it's blurry, it's fuzzy, and it's like Jesus is looking at us, saying, "Hey, don't you understand?" And we're like, "Kind of. I kind of see it. Uh, I I see men as trees walking." Now, there's these blurry shapes. Yep, I can see. Whoo! Which, by the way, if you've been blind, that is amazing. But you recognize when it comes to the Word of God, I'm not interested. In, I don't want blurriness. I want clarity. See, I, I, when I come to the Word, I don't, I don't want to just study it for the sake of studying it to check it off a list. Hey, when I come to the Word, I, I want my heart to be burning, which I cannot self-produce. That There's no way that I, you know, if you do these five steps in an order, your heart will burn boy, I would write a book, (laughs) you know, Five Steps to Heartburn. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, (laughs) it'd be awesome. I'd make a lot of money. You know, in fact, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe I should write a book called Five Steps to Heartburn. But, but you realize you could do the five steps and you'd still never get the heartburn. Why? Because you need the reality of the author inside of you giving you illumination. And as you're encountering the author and you're studying the book, and as he's opening the scriptures to you and he's explaining himself to you, that's what causes heartburn for him. I talk a lot about this, but you, you recognize that this book has to become a priority in our life. But it's how we approach this Bible, it's how we approach the word of God which becomes important. Because hey, all growing up, I, I, was, a, I was a little kid and I would come to the Bible and I would, I would quote unquote study, but it was just, It was academic, or it was because my parents made me, or because I want to get the gold star on the Sunday school board, or it's because of, you know, I was trying to prove somebody wrong. It was, I had a whole bunch of reasons why I came to the Word. But if those are your motivations for coming to the Word, eventually it's going to dry up, it's going to become just, this is going to become dull and dry and dusty, and just you're going to quit, you're going to quit getting into it. So why do we come to the Word of God? Well, the primary reason why we need to come to the Word of God is to know the author. It's to know Jesus. And as a corollary of that is to be transformed by truth. In other words, when I come to this Word, I'm not coming for mere information. I'm coming for transformation. I'm not merely wanting to look for academics. I'm looking for intimacy. Now, obviously, there are academics. And obviously, you need to study. And hey, if you've ever been through Dan's hermeneutics class, hey, you need to study. You need to learn how to study. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and, and obviously, there's nothing wrong with the academics. Does that make sense? And hey, we're teaching you oftentimes here to, to, to study academically. There's nothing wrong with that. And you should study academically. The problem is when the academics become the end result or, or the whole purpose of the thing. See, I study academically, but the reason I study academically is so I can have intimacy with him. And the reason I get into this book is not just for information. I get into this book to have have this intimacy and a relationship with the author. And as I'm engaging the author and as he's revealing himself to me, my love for him increases. And as, 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 as my love for him increases, what I find is that my life begins to be transformed more and more into his likeness. I start to have his heart and his mind and his perspective on things. And my attitude starts to change and my language begins to change. And, oh, I get this heartburn. Oh, so what are the five steps for that? There's not five steps. Now, we can teach you five steps for how to study academically. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your whole motivation for getting to the book, it's, it's gonna become dry and dull quickly. And, and it seems to me that when I'm talking to people, and, and if they're not in the Word, the reason they're not in the Word is because there's a thumb in their back or because they're being forced to or, or because it's, well, well, I'm just reading the words and I'm just trying to get information. What if it wasn't about the information? And hey, you should memorize it. Hey, you should study it. You should know it. So it's not a downplay of information. But what if it was an upplay of intimacy and relationship? And so the reason we get into this, the reason we study it, hey, the reason we're doing Daily Thunders every single day of the week is not so you can get more information. It's not head stuff. This is life change stuff. This is... Hey, I want to grow in my intimacy with Jesus. I, I, mean, I want my life to be different. And I want that to spill out of my life and affect the people around me. And, and I want that to change the world. Oh, doesn't that sound exciting? So why do I come to the Bible? To know him and to be changed by him. Uh, I talk a lot about this idea that the Bible is like a spiritual barometer. That your engagement in this book Determines a lot about your spiritual life. Uh, in other words, I'm into these young guys and it's just funny, just funny to me. It's like I see this young guy and he's just struggling and he's just having a hard time and he's just depressed and he's just living in sin and and inevitably, you know, he's he's telling me all this stuff, and I and I already know the answer to my question, but I always ask the question. And the question is, hey, how's your time in the Word? Now I already know the answer. <laughs> it's rather obvious. But it's like, well, it could be better. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the one I hear oftentimes is, well, it's, it's, it's getting better. It's, it's increasing. What does that mean? you like, looked at the Bible? Yeah, I put it on my counter this week. Well done. That's stupid. Isn't it? On the flip side, I talked to this guy, there's a couple of guys that I mentored that, man, they're just thriving, they're growing, they're just they're walking in victory and triumph, and man, they're just doing so well. And I'm just saying, hey, how are things going? He's like, How much time do you got? You know, and they're just starting to talk about all the stuff that Jesus is doing in their life, and it's all so exciting. And, da, 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 da. and I already know the answer to my question, but I typically ask him, Hey, how's your time in the Word? And they're just like, Oh, how much time you got? I'll tell you all about it. Man, God's just revealing truth to me. There's all this stuff. See, somehow your engagement in this book becomes a spiritual barometer. You know, I think it was D.L. Moody who used to say that either this book is going to keep you from sin or sin is going to keep you from this book. and That's, that's a true statement at some level. Why? Because this becomes a spiritual barometer. Now, if this is not, well, read the Bible, you'll have a good day. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's something that when you actually get into the Scriptures and you begin to see the life of the Scriptures come alive and you begin to encounter the author himself and he begins to radically change your life, you just cannot remain the same if you're humbly coming before the Word. Now, if I'm trying to force my opinion on the Word, if if I'm trying to force my doctrine upon the Word, if I'm trying to force the theology upon the Word, hey, you'll get whatever you want to get out of it. But hey, if I would come humbly before the word and just say, oh, Jesus, would you just teach me? Hey, hey, would you just open this thing to me? And hey, would you just, in fact, if you turn over to John chapter 16, love John chapter 16, phenomenal passage where Jesus is talking as he's in this whole upper room discourse uh, starting in uh, uh, chapters 13 and 14. And he gets into chapter 16, and in verse uh, 7, he's telling the disciples, hey, it's to your benefit that I leave you which I've always thought, that's not true. Because, hey, if I was one of the disciples, I would have looked at Jesus and been like, I'm sorry, you are sadly mistaken. I mean, I know you're God, but uh, you're wrong. Because it's not better that you leave. It's actually better that you stay. Why? Because I can hit you on the back, and we can laugh together, and, you know, we can roast hot dogs over the campfire and all that kind of stuff. Hey, it's good that you stay. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's actually better that I leave. Because he says, if I don't go away, the counselor, the helper, will not come to you. So you've got to get a hold of this concept when it comes to the Word of God. Do you realize, according to Jesus, it's better that he's not here right now. That we have the Spirit of God. And the reason that is so phenomenal is because if we had a physical Jesus right here, he's only in one place at one time. Why? Because he's physical. And obviously, because I'm his best friend, he's going to hang out all all of his time with me, which means if you want to see Jesus, you're going to have to come out and hang out with us. But in other words, if Jesus was physical, do you recognize that, well, I would have to go and actually schedule time to spend time with Jesus? But he says, but if I go away, I'm going to send my spirit to you. And if I send my spirit to you, I'm actually going to live inside of you. And if I live inside of you, then you actually have the fullness of who I am wherever you go, which is a phenomenal thought, isn't it? Nod your heads. (laughs) It's a phenomenal thought. In other words, do you realize what Jesus is saying is, what we have now, after Pentecost, is actually better than what the disciples had prior to Pentecost. I mean, as phenomenal as it was for Jesus to be walking around with the disciples and, you know, the disciples hanging out with Jesus, Jesus says it's actually better what they had after Pentecost with the influence of the Holy Spirit. Which means when we read Scripture and you go, wow, wouldn't it be great to be Moses? Yeah, not really. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd love to have some burning bush moments. I mean, i love some clarity like that. But Moses was looking forward going, oh, I want what you have. I mean, you hear this stuff in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Oh, there's coming a day that these prophets would declare. Oh, there's coming this time when, when what was written on the, on the tablets of stone is going to be written on the tablets of the heart. And oh, there's coming a day when, when what I get to experience in part is going to be the full expression. Whoa, there's this thing. And they were longing to have what you and I get to experience day by day by day. See, I do not want to become Isaiah. I mean, his life was pretty miserable. I don't want to be Ezekiel. Have you read some of Ezekiel? <laughs> and the stuff he went through. I have, no, I, I have no interest in being Jeremiah. I mean, you know, maybe Joseph or Daniel, but you know, but even then, do you realize they, were, they would have craved to have what you have access to? Why? Because we have the living God inside of our life. And as it relates to the word of God, do you recognize the author himself, this is so phenomenal to me, the author himself lives inside of us which means when I come to this book, it's not like reading Shakespeare, which is the illustration I usually use. Why? Shakespeare's dead. And you pick up Shakespeare, and you read his sonnets, and the only conclusion you have, you read a sonnet, and everyone has the same, has the same expression. What? Because his sonnets makes no sense. He probably had bad Mexican one night. He wrote his sonnets, and he never went back to edit them. I mean, makes, they make no sense. And I cannot walk up to Shakespeare. It's all in jest, okay, just for clarity. But I cannot walk up to Shakespeare and say, Shakespeare! Yeah, Shakespeare, what, what on earth are you doing here? Shakespeare, what, what did you intend by writing this? Shakespeare! Because he's dead. That's not, that's not like this. See, when I come to the scriptures, do you realize the author himself is still alive? And he's not out there somewhere. He lives inside of us via the Holy Spirit. So you realize as I come to the Word of God and I'm coming, why do I come to the Word of God? It's to know Him and to be transformed by truth. And as I come to the Word of God, I can literally ask the author Author, what what were you intending by this? What does this mean? Hey, would you give me insight and illumination? And would you expand my perspective? And hey, would you, would you allow me to see what you're actually saying here? And, and you could actually engage the author of the book itself. Oh, that's exciting. In fact, that's the promise. If you go down to verse 13 uh, of John chapter 16, Jesus says, and when the spirit of truth comes, now, who is the spirit of truth? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. But who is truth? Well, Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the truth. So the spirit of truth is merely the spirit of Jesus. Everyone still good? Right? That makes sense? So in the spirit of truth, this is the spirit of Jesus. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking God himself. Hey, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. Which is not facts. It's a person. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do? Oh, He's going to pick you up by the hand and he's going to lead you somewhere. Where's he going to lead you? To Jesus. He's going to give you insight on Jesus. And what's neat about that word "guide"? It's not like um, there, there's several different words for "guide." Uh, for example, I'm going to guide you to my house. Uh, if you come out here, go down, turn right, go down the street. You'll 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 hit uh, you'll hit some street. You say say you go out of Main Street, turn right on Main Street, turn right on Fourth, go down there. You know, eventually you will go around the park and then you'll find my house. See, I can guide you. That's not this word. This word has this idea of relationship connected with it. Uh, it has this idea of hand-holding, if you will. And the idea is that the Holy Spirit's going to take you by the hand and he's really going to guide you. How's he going to guide you? He's going to be walking and say, oh, oh, hey, watch for that pothole. Come over here. Come over here. Take a, take a step. All right, now let's go over here. And he's going to be guiding you step by step by step into truth, which is a person. And the only way you can properly understand this book is The only way you can properly study this book is not through your own wisdom, not through your own intellect. You need the Spirit of God giving you illumination in this book. Hey, how are you going to have heartburn in this book? Well, the only way your heart is ever going to burn is when the Spirit of God gives you insight on Jesus. Hey, it's when Jesus takes you into the Word, and he opens up your perspective. He's really walking and revealing himself to you through the Word. And as he is giving clarity to the Word, oh, that causes heartburn. And yeah, you need to study academically. And yes, you should read. And yes, you should memorize. And hey, yes, you need to be in this book. And this book needs to be a priority of your life. Why? Because it's a spiritual barometer for your soul. But do you realize that as you come to this book, the author himself lives inside of you and wants to give insight of his word to you? We need that. And every time I come to this book, I don't want to come to this book by myself. I want to come to this book with the author beside me, inside me, illuminating the word. Now obviously I gotta do my diligence, obviously I gotta have discipline, obviously I need to know the academics and be able to study, that's all true, but oh, I need him to give me a heartburn. And next week as we actually start getting into the book of Ephesians, that's my desire, is that we don't just have academic information, it's not just a, hey let's walk through the book of Ephesians and find some great principles, this is all oh, could we just get a hold of Jesus and would we let him change our life and may our hearts burn for Him? I want that for you. Well, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we want that. Uh, we want heartburn, biblically, spiritually. Uh, Lord, we don't want to just come to the word because we have to. Oh we want to come to the Word because we get to. But this isn't a pressure, this is a delight. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us a passion and a desire for you and your word. I pray that as we come and engage your word, that, yes, you would open up our mind. And, yes, you would somehow let us see the depths of your word. Yes, Lord, I pray that we would understand how to study it well. But, Lord, I pray in the midst of this that we would not lose sight of the fact that the reason I come to the word is to know you and to be transformed by truth. It's not just to have the neat little fact or the neat little story figured out. It's not just so that I can prove somebody wrong or so I can whip up a sermon or the reason I come to the word is for intimacy and relationship, oneness. It's somehow to know you, the one true God, better and better and better. And as I get to know you, that I would grow in intimacy and oneness. And as I grow in intimacy and oneness, I can't help but lay myself humbly before the word and that you would take your word like a double-edged sword and pierce my life and transform it Lord, if I would humbly come before your word, I know without a doubt that I could not remain the same. So Lord, I pray that as we come in these coming days, as we, as we continue to dive into your word, let it not just be because we have to, let it not just be so we can fulfill time. Hey, let these daily thunder morning sessions not just be well, wasn't that nice? Lord, I pray that you would move mightily in these times that we would behold you, that we would see you, that we would be transformed, that we would grow in intimacy and oneness, that you would pull us deeper, that you, the Holy Spirit, would take us by the hand and guide us into all truth. What a phenomenal opportunity we have to have a relationship with the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, the one true God. Love you, Jesus. Let's give you the praise and the glory in your precious name. Amen.